Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 145 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, I got to thank you guys for your encouragement, you know, because uh, I was I was just at an event out in Vancouver, BC. I was in Atlanta last month. I mean, I, mean, I travel a lot on the road, and uh, a lot of you come up to say thank you for the podcast. And once in a while, I'll tell you, you know what? That really comes in handy on like late nights or early mornings, and today's one of those days where I'm just really grateful for your encouragement because I uh, started the morning in Vancouver, had a ridiculously early flight, and here we are back Toronto time um, when I really should be in bed. But here we are recording this because you know what? The show must go on. So I'm committed to bringing you this every Tuesday. Thanks for your encouragement. Thanks for sharing the love, for subscribing, for telling your friends, for sharing on social media. You guys are the best and uh, you make long days like this uh, far more meaningful and enjoyable. So just a shout out to you guys. You're the best. Hey, one of the questions I get a lot um, in person when I talk to you uh, via email on a social is simply this. What about mentoring? Um, everything from will you mentor me to uh, how do I find a mentor to uh, what are some good practices for mentoring? So I thought it would be fascinating to sit down with Reggie Campbell. Now, he has an organization called Radical Mentoring. Um, he's done a lot of things with his life. He has started and sold more businesses uh, than you probably visited in your life. He's a serial entrepreneur. He is an elder and off, often an elder on the board at uh, North Point. And uh, his real passion, though, is mentoring and helping people get connected in their marriage and then mentoring the next generation of leaders. And he's got a really unique take on it. I think you're going to love today's guest, so uh, hang in there for that. also want to let you know about something that's happening this fall. So you've heard me talk, if you're a regular listener, about the Orange Tour, and we are doing that again this fall. I'm going to be on the road at uh, some of those stops, along with Reggie Joyner, John Acuff, Jeff Henderson, Danielle Strickland, and many others. But in five cities, the day before the Orange Tour, Andy Stanley is in town, and uh, the Orange Tour and the brand new Deep and Wide Tour are teaming up. So there's five different cities that you can visit where Andy Stanley is going to be this fall, starting in California in September. You can get the complete list just by going either to these show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 145, or you can go to orangetour.org. That will get you there directly. So make sure you check that out and find a city near you. We are pretty much everywhere, I think, this fall. So Make sure you check that out at orangetour.org. Also, I uh, want to say thank you to Trained Up. They've been an incredible partner in this podcast. They're one of the reasons you get this for free every single Tuesday. And what do they help you do? Well, they help you train your volunteers. One of the talks I've been doing for the last year or two is just on raising high-capacity volunteers. And I'm amazed at the audience reaction because one of the things we struggle with is just like getting volunteers and then training them. Trained Up can take a lot of the mystery out of that process. So if you go to trainedup.church, uh, they will help you do a variety of things. Number one, if you're like short-staffed and you're like, I, I don't even know how we have the bandwidth to train volunteers, they've got done-for-you videos on everything from guest services to kids' ministry. So the training's done for you, and it's done virtually online. So you can actually track the progress of everybody who does it. Or maybe you want to do your own stuff. Well, you can do that and then upload it to their site and all of your volunteers can go through it at their convenience. You have a shot at 100% training for all of your volunteers. In other words, you'll get 100% of your volunteers through it as opposed to the usual 42% of your volunteers who happen to show up at your training events. Third thing is maybe you want to do your own training, but you don't have gear. Well, they got a package for that too. Check it all out at trainedup.church. And uh, thanks so much to the Orange Tour and Deep and Wide Tour and Trained Up for uh, making this week possible. Make sure you uh, give them a shout out, okay? And tell them I sent you. Also, uh, if you're fascinated in um, what Reggie is doing, and I think you will be, uh, he set up a special landing page for Radical Mentoring. You can go to radicalmentoring.com slash CNLP. That's radicalmentoring.com slash CNLP. I'll give you that at the end of the show. It'll be in the show notes. But uh, if you want to find out more, there's uh, special stuff for podcast listeners. So with all that said, let's jump into my conversation with Reggie Campbell. 
Well, I'm really excited to have Reggie Campbell with us today. Reggie, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Kerry. Hey, you and I are uh, both associated with North Point. You for much longer than uh, me, for me the last decade, for you many, many years. Uh, does it go back to the beginning? And tell us a little bit, like give us the sort of thumbnail of your journey as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as a mentor, and, and also as somebody who's been on the inside track at North Point Church as even an elder. Well, I, I got I was drawn to, to uh, the beginnings of North Point when I heard that that they were going to do a, a, a different kind of worship music, and uh, I was an old rock and roll drummer in high school, <laughs> and so I showed up for the first service at the warehouse, and I uh, loved the music, and the teaching wasn't bad. That Andy Stanley guy was pretty good. Yeah, he's and, okay. Uh, hey? <laughs> yeah, he, he's okay. And I, I, honestly, I've been listening to him on cassette tapes uh, that I, I <laughs> bought in the bowels of First Baptist Atlanta uh, when he was teaching singles and, uh, wow. and, and youth. So you, you so were part of First Baptist originally and uh, with Dr. Stanley and so on? Well, not really. I, I, oh, no? I had, I had been a, 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 a learner uh, ever since Jesus found me when I was 33. Huh. But um, somebody, somebody turned me on to Andy's gift of teaching. And so I, I would go down to, uh, and not, not, to, not to slam Dr. Stanley, but I'd go down to their bookstore and buy everything that Andy did because I don't know he just spoke to me and, yeah. and I think his practical teaching, which is what's what's really propelled uh, our church, is just phenomenal. So, uh, but anyway, we got involved and in, in just we I don't think I've ever missed the North Point service uh, in person or or online. One of the two. I don't think I've ever missed a single service in all twenty one or two years of our existence. That's um, incredible. Yeah, I mean, I love our I love our church. I've been. Uh, but I'm a business guy. I, yeah. I, I was, I've been in the South all my life, uh, been married uh, to the same woman for 47 years, Miriam. Amazing. Actually, we, we sort of had two marriages, though. The uh, uh, On our 45th anniversary, I gave her 33 roses and said, thank you for 33 wonderful years. <laughs> on your 45th. Yeah. And then in parentheses, I said, and thanks for sticking with me through the 12 years it took me to grow up. Oh, man. So, uh, But That's I've got well two said. children. Two two grown up children, five grandchildren. Um, as you said, been involved in a bunch of startups. I'm I'm unemployable basically. <laughs> okay, <laughs> as an entrepreneur, you're just unemployable. Yeah. Uh, take us through that. Like, what did uh, what you were in was like music a side hobby for you, or was that a business for a while? Oh yeah. If if I depend on music, I'd be starving. I, I turned <laughs> down the opportunity to be the drummer in the Marshall Tucker Band. Did you really? Uh, yeah, cause they came out of Spartanburg and and they were looking for a drummer and and I passed and six months later they were all driving around in Mercedes and <laughs> I, was, I was working for the phone company for seven hundred seventy five bucks a month. <laughs> but uh, no, my I've always been a sales guy. I've been a business person. Uh, I was hired on with AT and T right out of college. Uh, majored in marketing. Went back and got my uh, MBA. Uh, left that when I was right after I I surrendered to, to Christ and. Uh, yeah. Started business that uh, did pretty well and was acquired, and that gave me this reputation as an entrepreneur. And, and then I got involved in helping some startup uh, ministry things, and so I think I've been CEO four times, been on a bunch of boards, and uh, you know I've lost lost a lot of money and shut some down too. So I've had I've had a really blessed career though, all in all. I've never yeah. been sued. I've never been sued, Gary. I'm really hey, proud. That's of great. That. <laughs> that's good. That's hard to be in business and to do that many. Uh... Uh, sales of companies and mergers and that kind of thing and, and, and not have a lawsuit come your way. That's, that's incredible. Um, what kind of businesses or did it really matter? You were more interested in just starting things than what you started? All in, in services. I, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a people person and hmm. uh, I, I've been in the uh, selling services or having businesses that sell services. And uh, I don't know, that's just my patch. Um, that's great. Technology oriented. I, I love businesses that are People oriented, but uh, technology that leverages them and makes their lives better and uh, empowers them to give better service to customers. So, outsource okay. customer service was probably my my main moniker, if you would. Rumor is from some mutual friends that you're an incredible negotiator. Now, negotiation is something you have to do every single day in life, whether that's trying to figure out who's picking up dinner or you know who's going to bring the kids to soccer, or whether you're buying and selling major corporations. Um, and I think pastors do a lot of negotiation as well. Leaders do. Probably in, in law school, one of my favorite courses was a course simply called Lawyer's Negotiator. Give us some of your best thoughts, insights, tips on what makes for an effective negotiation. 
Well, my favorite story on negotiation has to do with the father who comes home uh, from school um, after his kids are, are out of school and his wife has told him to bring an orange. And he walks, walks in the door with his orange and his kids come running to him and say, Daddy, 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 I need the orange. And one kid says, uh, please, Daddy, I've got to have this, this orange for, for a project at school. And the other kid says, but, Dad, I, I have to have one orange. So the dad, without asking any questions, goes to the kitchen, cuts the orange in half, and gives half to each child. Hmm. And they start bawling, both of them. <laughs> and he says, what is up with this? And one of them says, well, I need the peel of, an enti- of one orange for my project. Oh. And the other child is crying, and he sniffles and says, but I need the, I need the juice of, of one orange. So <laughs> by simply dividing the orange, he ensured failure for both of them. And uh, so I, I think what happens in, in the best negotiation, best negotiations is to sit down together and, and get a whiteboard and write out on the, on the whiteboard, what is it that everybody wants? Mm. And, and, and once you get very clearly stated on the, on a, on a whiteboard or easel, here's what you want, here's what they need. You know, you just list all the wants and needs, and then you start playing out scenarios. Okay, how can we all win? If I if I do this and you do that, and then he does the other, uh, and 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 it's just amazing. You know, George Washington Carver said, "If you love the peanut long enough, it will reveal its secrets to you." <laughs> That's and if a you great state quote. The problem, <laughs> I love that quote. Uh. And he, he, so if you state the problem clearly and everybody sees the win for them, if they help the other person win, um, often the, you start creating scenarios. And then when you see that under scenario one, everyone wins, well, you start saying, well, what if this person doesn't cooperate? Well, all of a sudden the consequences to everybody else become apparent. Mm. And it's just amazing how often you can get to get to a win-win-win for whoever, whoever's involved. If you can get everybody in the room and you can – if you can resist the temptation, start cutting deals and making trades before all the all the wants and needs are charted. That's the one temptation that takes a lot of discipline. No, 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 no. This is that's we're not negotiating. We're just identifying what everybody has to have. And once you do that, it's pretty pretty amazing what can happen. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that would work on a team if you're trying to get your team on the same page. That would work inside of organizations. It would work between departments. It probably even works in families, doesn't it? Absolutely. Although there's a real danger in families mm. of uh, trading and negotiating, particularly between husbands and wives. That's mm. not love. That's trading. So, so what is that? Dangerous. Like if you do this, then I'll do that. Uh, you mean by trading? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Correct. So what's a better and approach I, then? What would you do? Well, there's this, these, all these scriptures that just mess you up. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's about looking, looking out for the interest of others and mm. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. I mean, man, that's just that's just ugly. <laughs> so those were the thirty-three good years of marriage. Yeah, <laughs> the better those, years. Those, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a favorite book or like? I still remember um, there was a book we were introduced to in that course, uh, which I think is still read today. It's like ancients from the eighties. Getting to Yes by Fisher and Yuri, which talks about the death of the zero-sum game and, and focusing on interests, not positions, which is very similar to what you're talking about. Do you have like a go-to book on negotiation or resource that you would recommend? Uh, yes, but it's probably not going to be what you expect. Sure. Um, and, and I don't even know if you can find it anymore, but there is a, a book of cases from the Harvard Negotiation Project. They got some of those brainiacs at Harvard together, and they created a whole bunch of cases um, that you can set up and role play in. You can they're, they're individual negotiation cases. There are groups, team negotiations, and so forth. And I, I just think you learn so much more by practicing yep. this uh, this than you do by reading a book and applying principles. Those principles get distilled right uh, from the, from the exercises as opposed to taking the principles and just you know teaching them. And the case method, I mean, that's how law is still taught to this day and, and how a lot of business degrees are, are structured as well, gives you an entirely different perspective than just a bunch of principles in a book. I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, we always do show notes for these episodes. So my team will deep Google um, any resources from the Harvard Business School on uh, negotiation. I seem to remember uh, back in the day, people talking about the Harvard Negotiation Project. So it was that that was published in book form? 
Uh, the, the book I have on my shelf is 25 cases, hmm. 25 negotiation cases. And I can't remember the author. Um, but the, the biggest principle I remember, yeah, the biggest principle I remember from all that is the principle of the BATNA. Oh, yeah. Best BATNA. alternative to a negotiated agreement. Correct. Well, it's actually huh? best alternative to not agreeing. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It's the idea. It's the idea that if you're trying to get your neighbor to move his fence, then you go and get a permit to put in a waste incinerator on your backyard. Right. So if he doesn't agree, then <laughs> he doesn't have to. He's just got to smell <laughs> smell burning waste for the rest of his life. Uh, it's kind of a nasty idea, but but. Yeah, I've seen that over and over again it, it, when people are just locked in and, and won't even have an open mind about things when you and that's part of the scenario thing I was talking hmm. about. When you play out the scenario on a whiteboard and you realize that ultimately you're going to lose by stonewalling, then you do another scenario and all of a sudden you see a win win here. Then they're more drawn to, to that instead of building a wall, building a bridge versus a wall. So to the extent that you can talk about it publicly, what was the toughest negotiation you were in and how did you get through it? Probably the, the toughest negotiation I was ever in was uh, negotiating uh, with my wife to uh, come back and stay. Oh, really? Like like when things were falling apart? Yes. Wow. She, uh, she, she left and that was the catalyst that led me to surrendering to Christ mm. and uh, she called me a week later, and she'd been staying with the, our pastor uh, up in Charlotte. And I told her that I'd surrendered to, to Jesus, and I was a new person, and that she should come home and check it out. And she said, hmm, well, you know what? Your voice sounds the same, but those are certainly different words. I'll come home wow. for one day. And so she came home six hours later, and we talked. And, and uh, the next day, I said, how about one more day? Sure. <laughs> and she said, Okay, I'll stay one more day. And uh, that's been 33 years, and I am still on a day to day contract. Isn't that amazing? I'm negotiating for a weekly deal, Carrie. But <laughs> she, she, she says it's, it's not broke, uh, so why fix it? And, and I, I, I honestly, what I, I, I can say is I learned more in those deals where I couldn't negotiate my way out of them. I mean, when she left, it was the first situation in my entire life that I couldn't sell my way or negotiate my way out of. I was powerless, and and Jesus was my only option. You know, and they say he won't be uh, all you have until he's all you— he, he won't be all you, you need until he's all you have, and he mm. was my only way. He was my only need. Well, I'm by the grace of God, there you are 33 years later. Yeah. Man. Um, you and I, when we were uh, connecting before we started uh, recording, we're talking a little bit about the church. And I mean, in, in that few minutes, I was like, you were, you were already really piquing my interest. So uh, we've all seen what's happened in, in the broader church over the last 20 years with the rise of attractional church. Uh, you're somebody who's really focused on what's next. So am I. Um, any thoughts on what's going on in the church today, why so many churches are struggling to uh, grow, and even churches that have maybe were growing a decade ago, you know, are kind of plateauing and, and that kind of thing. What, uh, what are you seeing? What are you sensing? What are you feeling from the perspective of where you sit as someone who's heavily invested in the church, but also extremely entrepreneurial? Well, sometimes you have to be smaller in, ever, in order to get um, better, and better will ultimately make you potentially bigger. Mm. Uh, of course, there's no there's no mandate that says that any one church should be big. Uh, right. I think we got a lot more history of churches being small than we do of churches really being very, very big. But, um, you know, Jesus had this very clear instruction. I mean, it's like mama going to the grocery store and leaving you with this one instruction, you know, don't go in the street. I mean, right. he had this one instruction. He said, Go make disciples. He didn't mm -hmm. say make converts. He said make right. disciples. And my first book was about relational evangelism. It was called About My Father's Business, Taking uh -huh. Your Faith to Work. And what I've learned over the years is that evangelism is just one step in the whole process of disciple making. And what I've what I've I, I see now is that making disciples involves long-term relationships. Mm. Uh, and, and Andy uh, Stanley, when we first started trying to take radical mentoring outside my dining room, he did a video promo for us. And it sa he said, and I'll never forget these words, he said, information coupled with um, inspiration does not bring about transformation. Mm -hmm. 
information coupled with inspiration does not bring about transformation. He said it takes that life on life, uh, rubbing up against each other, rubbing against the word, rubbing up against uh, the Holy Spirit uh, and rubbing up against other Christians. You know, that iron sharpens Mm -hmm. iron thing is what brings about transformation uh, within people. So creating environments, which I, I totally agree is how how the church has to start. But ultimately, I think it has to uh, uh, get to the point where uh, people are in community and that there is an older, wiser, more experienced person who's leading uh, others in this pursuit of becoming uh, a learner and follower of Jesus. Hmm. We're going to get into that when we get to mentoring. You said something else which really I, I, you know, makes total sense, but I'd never heard it phrased that way. Uh, and that is that most organizations, including churches, start stoic and end up Epicurean. Can you can you unpack that for us? That's a fascinating thought. Well, we start out. I, I, my analogy is: you think about uh, healthcare. Yeah. Uh, there, back in the day, back in the country, there was the community doctor, and the community doctor took care of everybody. Well, eventually, the community doctor needs a vacation, or he gets sick and dies. And so the community comes together and they build a clinic. And so the clinic sort of sustains, the clinic hires a doctor, the doctors become uh, employees, and that becomes a hospital, which broadens it from just helping people get diagnosed, but also treatment and recovery. Right. And eventually you have this institution called the hospital. And all of a sudden the institution can end up being the impediment between the patient and the doctor Mm -hmm. because of the... Uh, institutional requirements and the bureaucracy and the regulations and so forth. Well, the same thing happens with churches. They start life on life, small group, community, people confessing to each other, and then it gets bigger and bigger. And then it's like, <laughs> you probably can't use this, but Andy, Andy put us in a group with John and Margaret Maxwell. And, okay. and we became dear friends. I love John and, and I, I, th- I think he loves me, but we're, we're going to a small group and we're going to tell our stories. And uh, Miriam says, Reggie, do you think I'm going to tell my story to John Maxwell? You honestly think I'm going to tell my story? <laughs> oh. Just not happening. No, no yeah, way. Jose. She didn't do it. She didn't do it. We play zone, not man to man. We we do our jobs within the church. And yes, if somebody walks into the choir practice and says, "Hey, I don't know Jesus. Can you help me?" Everybody would be willing to jump in and and help them. But we're we're doing jobs in the church, and we lose our man to man connection. Where, oh wow, that guy's he's curious. I'm going to lock in on him, and I'm just going to love that guy and serve him and help him figure out what his next step is. And so I think the more an institution becomes uh, sort of nameless and faceless and program oriented and environments environments without the heart, mm. um, personal attachment. Um, Carrie, one of the one of the brightest moments in my life because I am so committed to North Point and our mission statement is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, after we launched um, leader development groups at North Point, there were twenty of North Point's finest. Mostly lay people, but these are the elders. These are the these are you know David Wills, who was, has been Andy's best friend forever, mm. one of the most uh, solid Christians. All these people I'd ask, I'd invited to do radical mentoring, and all of them didn't have time. Whatever. Well, the church asked, and they all sign up. <laughs> and so mm. I walk into this room, and one by one, these guys said, having this the these groups of eight men that I'm pouring into has put a name and a face to our church's mission. Mm. Now it's not growing people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now it's helping John grow, uh, have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now it's, you know, it's like they say, an orphan is an orphan until you hold one. Mm. You know, and, and all of a sudden, this, this macro vision of leading people into a growing relationship, it's micro, and I own it, and he has a name and a face. And you know, that's good. Well, let's uh, let's dive into there. Let's talk about radical mentoring. Um, you got how did you get interested in mentoring? I want to spend a lot of time focusing on that in our remaining time uh, because that's kind of one of the things you're known for at North Point and also in in um, yeah outside of it as well. Well, when I first surrendered to Christ, I wanted I, my heart was full of gratitude. One, Miriam mm-hmm. did come back and she did forgive me, and we started over and and. Uh, 
everything in my life changed. Uh, and, and and I mean, I, I my default position is gratitude. I deserve nothing mm-hmm. that I've been given. It's all been by by God's grace. Uh, we had nobody in our church to work with singles, and so we started. We said we'll do it. There was not even a room, so we met in, in someone's house. And over the course of the next five years, these young single guys started calling me their mentor. I mean, I was I was 35, had a pretty wife and two kids. They were 25, had just come out of college, two or three years in the workplace, no marriage. They wanted to be married. And uh, all of a sudden, I saw this thing happening where they looked up to me because I was a little ahead of them. And I was, I was living my life as best I knew how. Uh, to honor God and, and to glorify Him, and so they kind of wanted what I had. Uh, but then, and so I was doing this, but I wasn't intentional. I didn't have a plan. It, it was, it was, and I wrote about this in my book, Metro Like Jesus. It was mm-hmm. like I was Starbucks. I was dispensing advice, like you know, lattes at a Starbucks. Yeah. It was just whatever the issue of the day was. That's what I was talking about. Well, I tried to do that at North Point in the early days before we actually coalesced around this groups idea. And it went nowhere. But we did have a great retreat. And hmm. Tim Elmore stood up at that retreat, and he said this, Carrie, and it changed my life forever. He said, more time with fewer people equals greater kingdom impact. Hmm. More time with fewer people equals yeah. greater kingdom impact. Wow. And so I went home, and I said, you know, I'm just going to pick eight people, and I'm going to invest in them for a year. But I'm going to do it on my terms. I mean, I'm, I've been a CEO. I've sat and waited for people to show up for meetings. I've sat while people come in unprepared. Right. I said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it as a volunteer, and, and I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to move my vacations around to accommodate these these eight young guys. They're going to they're gonna make a covenant commitment. They're going to be here. They're going to be here on time. They're going to finish. And the thing that was re- really uh, heavy on me was that I, I didn't want to just make them better people. I wanted them to become disciple makers to pour into others. Right. And so I came up with this covenant and, um, and there's several things that, it, you know, I can't explain. I, I like, like, um, having them apply, you know, I, I want, I'm, I don't want to waste my time with people that I'm pursuing. If somebody wants to pursue growing, uh, as a leader, as a, as a, as a church um, leader, as a husband, as a father, man, I'm all in to help you, but I'm not going to chase you down and try to say, Hey, Hey, let me help you. Let me help you. So I have had the guys apply. We did the year. It was fabulous. And for the first time I actually saw fruit from what I was, wow. what I was doing. And so I had enough people that said, Hey, I want to do that next time you do it. So I did another year and I actually did this for seven years in my dining room with almost nobody knowing about it. Hmm. And then I mentored somebody's son who told Boyd Bailey, and then Boyd Bailey mentored John Woodall's kids, and before wow. you knew it, it was just taken off, and and uh, so that's that's how it got started. And there's nothing I, I enjoy more and and just love uh, doing this. I've now mentored 128 guys. Crazy. Since I started these over how many years? Uh, it's over 16 years. Wow, 128 guys over 16 years, and probably third of those have now started doing groups on their own. And uh, Walk us through what um, the content and the journey is like. So you started with those eight guys. Uh, if we're going to join your group, what are we expecting? Or now what is a program? We'll get into the program aspect, et cetera, et cetera. But what, um, what's making a difference? Well, first is you've got to commit and I've got to commit. In the course of nine months, you're going to read nine Christian books that are carefully selected that that aren't just you know the the, the best sellers they are books that uh, have been proven to to make a difference in people's lives there are things from these books that have have spoken to other guys and have changed their lives because of having read those books and you know the average american reads 2.4 books a year yeah so here's a guy reading nine christian books he's memorizing anywhere from uh, 10 to 20 scriptures which is one or two a month and they're by topic so we've got guys that for the first time, you know, I can say fear uh, in a room of, of four or five of my friends. And they'll all say Second Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but mm-hmm. of love, power and sound mm-hmm. mind. And, you know, those are practical scriptures that when you pull them up by a key word in a situation, God can really guide you on what to do, what not to do, or why you're feeling the way you feel and that kind of thing. Uh, so the script, there's a memory, a memorizing a scripture or two, reading a book. One of the cool things is that you write a one-page net out of every book you read. It's like mm-hmm. not a book report. It's what do you what what am I going to apply to my life from having read this book? Yeah. 
Um, and then there's a, a relational homework assignment. Um, you know, shortly after I started doing this, there was a book that the the uh, filmmakers from down in a, in um, Albany, Georgia, um, wrote, and it was it was all these uh, love dare assignments. And so, uh, same kind of thing here. It's like write your wife uh, a letter and 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 tell her the ten things you admire about her. Uh, seal it and put it in the refrigerator before you go to work. So. Uh, when you come home from work, go, if you work outside the home, come home and go within five feet of her and without any touches other than, you know, familiar, uh, non-sexual touches, yeah. you just listen to her for five minutes in her space and, and you get into her frame of reference for five minutes, come back to the group and uh, tell us what happened. And, and it's using the model in scripture where Jesus would give the, the disciples an assignment, send them out and give them a period of time to apply it and then come back and debrief. And he'd say, oh, well, I, reason that didn't work is because that one comes out by prayer. You know, he would then instruct mm. based on spirits. Mm. So there's that. And then there's the, these guys are, are assigned every month. They get together one on one with each other. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, but but really, the whole thing starts with and, and, and flies on uh, the principle of transparency and vulnerability. You know, the, mm. the first thing the mentor has to do is go in the very first month and tell his story full on. No holes barred. Wow. And and then the next month, each of them tell their stories, and that's that sets the tone for the year. And now we're all on the same playing field, and we're all just learning together. And it's guys mentoring guys, women mentoring women, kind of thing. Correct. Yeah, you call it radical mentoring. What in your mind is the radical part? Jesus mentored twelve guys. He had one blowout. Um, those 12 guys are arguably the way we ended up with 2 billion confessing Christians. <laughs> Pretty radical. Yeah. Uh, you take the, if those 128 guys that I've invested in over the last 15 years, all just mentor, just half of them mentor eight guys a year. I mean, the number, the numbers just get, uh, you can't believe the numbers as to how, how many people end up affected when you, just consistently, steadily plot along and keep investing in people. That's amazing. What um, I know some of the guys who have been through it, and they like they just rave about it. So the way you described it, it's like I can imagine a lot of leaders listening go, "Well, that sounds like my small group, or that sounds like my men's group, or women are like, well, that sounds like my women's group." Why do you think this has had the impact it has? I mean, this is now. This is something that came in on the fringe at North Point. There are um, people now who are running like way more people through this process than you were able to bring through personally. What do you think the secret ingredient that is that has made this catch on so much? Uh, Here's what's amazing, and I'll answer your question, but three of the 10 largest churches in America are now doing their version of radical mentoring. It's just astounding. All right. A year Three out of ten, half, really? Yeah. A, a year and a half ago, Carrie, there were 33 churches talking to us about doing men's small group mentoring. Hmm. And um, today there are 1,800. Whoa. And, and no one really even knows yet that North Point's doing this. It'll be announced next year at Regroup, I think. Yeah. But uh, to answer your question directly, I think men want to be challenged. Yeah. You know, you think about the, the, the esprit de corps in the, in the Marine Corps. And the pride that has someone uh, has when they are they're a Marine, Semper Fi, that kind of thing. Well, most guys haven't read a book since they graduated from college. Yeah, if they even and, read him when they were there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> they just pretended and skated through. <laughs> that's exactly what most of us did. <laughs> yeah. But but to have a, someone, a face that they respect, be in a position of authority that says, okay, I'm in if you're in, and I'm going to lead you through this. Yeah. I'm going to pour my cup into your cup. It's not my responsibility to fill your cup. Right. You'll have many mentors after me. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to do just what I can do, which is I'm going to pour my cup into you, into your cup. And just uh, this is like the Navy SEALs. I mean, when did when did you when's the last time you were involved in something at church that you had to go to? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's part of the problem is is a lot of people are like, yeah, nothing really grips me like that. Exactly. In, in, in those 128 guys averaging 10 meetings through the course of their year, uh, I have 99.75% attendance 
I've had in 15 years, I've had 10 or 11 absences. Wow. And that was an immediate family died, whatever. And these guys want to come. It's not me mm. standing. I have no thought. I mean, I couldn't get that kind of compliance running a company, 1500 employees. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> so that's interesting. Why do you think they, they don't want to give up on it? What are you hearing from them? Why are they like, I am, cause I mean, getting guys to show up to anything is a big deal. Well, in the beginning, the in the beginning, I think it was, it was word of mouth. It was, um, wives talking to wives. I've had a lot of guys apply because somebody's wife talked to my wife and said, you really ought to do this. Cause <laughs> I get more high fives from the wives of these guys uh, often than I do from the guys because, I mean, they literally will say, hey, you know, who stole my husband and replaced him with this guy that cares? Wow. It's kind of, kind of fun stuff. But now, now that the churches are embracing this, uh, imagine, Carrie, if you're just a regular guy in a church yeah. and you get, an e- you get an email that says you have been identified as a potential future leader at North Point Community Church. And you're, we're inviting you to apply to this leader development group. How honored would you be? I mean, how motivated would you be to do that? And, you know, uh, you say, well, how do you know you're getting the right guys? Well, when they read the requirements that you've got to be at a meeting, spend three hours every month, plus read a book, plus re- memorize scripture, you've got to go on two retreats. And oh, by the way, at the end, you've got to engage in, um, in fulfilling your unique calling, mm-hmm. if not within the church, at least within your community. I mean, you're not going to have any any weak sisters apply for it's that. It's self-selecting. It pushes exactly. a lot of guys out. Yep. Yeah. People out. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so, yeah, because, I mean, I was on your website reading some, listening to what Andy had to say about it, but also listening to some of the video of the wives. And they're like, I just, all of a sudden, my husband started to care. All of a sudden, he was listening. All of a sudden, he was humble. All of it, you know, and there were women who were her, I remember listening to one woman and like, she thought it was over. Like she said, I didn't know how we were going to make it. So that's fascinating. How how do you get, and I mean, hey, for me, I don't know what our real anniversary is, but I would say of our 27 years, Tony, my wife would say, yeah, not all of them were great years. And I had a pivot point too when I was in my 30s where I learned, oh, the problem is me. Oh, okay. How do you get guys to wake up and realize I'm the issue? A lot of it has to do with the interaction with other other guys in the group. Mm. Uh, you know, sometimes you can't you can't see yourself until you see yourself in somebody else. And you're like, oh, I do that too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you you read a like one of the things I do in my groups is and and North Point does this as well. We have a listening skills exercise where you have to listen to another person and read their feelings. Mm. And then you take that and, and go home. And for a month, you got to pay attention to how your wife's feeling, not just the content of what she's saying, but what are her feelings in the moment? That's a game changer. Yeah. You know, they, women particularly want to be empathized with and understood that, you know, because they may not work outside the home or even more if they do, that the, the man understands how difficult that is and empathizes with her. And oh, by the way, might even jump in and help. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. How did you develop this curriculum? Was it just based out of your own story or, or what? It was, it was that. I, I, mm. was, I was a horrible husband. I, I didn't have a role model growing up. Uh, and, mm. and in my adult years, I didn't have a mentor. Yep. And uh, the result of all that was a marriage that was hanging by a thread. And, uh, and then when, when I surrendered to Christ and started um, studying and being around other other men and, and, and couples groups and that kind of thing, I started just to see, as you as you talked about for yourself, how just how selfish I was. Uh, Gary Thomas's book, yeah. um, Sacred Marriage. I Love mean, that, that book. That one line, you know, marriage is the full-length mirror in which I see myself. Hmm. I'm like, man, stick it in my heart and twist that sucker, because that's exactly <laughs> that's what it, I Reggie. Did. <laughs> it is. There is nothing that will try your character deeper. Than, than being married, living in the same square footage as one human being for the rest of your life. That's going to do it. Yeah. Who, and who, who was in your life, Carrie, that you, you knew well enough? I mean, I spent three hours a month with you for a year, or even in the first three or four months, he's told you his story. He's heard your story. Mm-hmm. Who, who would take you aside and say, Carrie, you know, the way you described the way you handle that, that, that deal with your wife, I mean, I, I'm not criticizing. I just ask you this question. You know, did you did you give yourself up for her in that moment? Mm-hmm. Did you try to win? Were you negotiating? Were you trading? Yeah. You know, yeah. 
I'll never forget the day that I took Clay to lunch when he was in my group. And he was quiet, which for Clay is pretty unusual. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and he was looking out the window of the passenger seat of the car. And I looked over and I said, hey, what are you thinking? And he said, I was thinking, where do you get this? Hmm. Where does a 29-year-old guy have access to a 58-year-old guy who will tell him the truth? Where do you get that? Hmm. And I, I reflect back on my life. I just didn't have that guy. I didn't have yeah. anybody. And, and I wanted to be that guy. I'll bet you nine out of 10 people listening don't have that guy. And I think women are better naturally at it. I think they're better now. I don't know whether they, I mean, you know, I'm a guy. I don't know whether they get sympathy or whether they get help. But, you know, guys, like, yeah, I got good friends. What do you talk about? Nothing. You know, <laughs> really, that's the way it is exactly. for most men. Um, uh, wow, this is, this is really good. What would, there must be some common needs. You've mentioned listening. You've mentioned, I think, humility in, in so many words. What are, what are some of the core needs you see? And we have a lot of female and male leaders listening, but let's speak to the guys and the guys that you've mentored and who are being mentored under radical mentoring. What are the, the common, like the big five or whatever? And number one is uh, daddy issues. Really? Every, every guy, and I will, I will say that without exception in my, in my groups, I have never met a guy who didn't have a daddy issue. And what do you um, mean by that? What is a daddy issue? You know, our fathers... Are, are, are meant to be the first authority figure in our lives. They define yeah. our, our masculinity, femininity. Mm. And we all come with this question of, do I have what it takes? And do I measure up that, you know, the John Eldridge wild at heart questions. Yep. And very, very, very few fathers, particularly in the uh, fathers of boomers and busters mm. were enlightened enough to realize the consequences of things that they were say saying and the things that they were either doing or not doing. And so I, I just almost unanimously, uh, every guy has a daddy issue. And even the guy, I have a guy uh, in my group now, it's the first guy who came in and says, I don't have any daddy issues. Huh. And, and he said, I have the best father. He was perfect. He was awesome. He was wonderful. But when he told his story, he said something, and I write down everything they say when they tell their stories. And so he, he said something about, I couldn't wait to get to college because I would get out from under my parents. And, I, yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and uh, as we did our, uh, and every mentor is, is ch charged with meeting with each of his guys one on one after he's heard their story. So I, I had my right. one on one with this guy, and I played that back to him. He said, "I said that." Hmm. I said, "Well, this guy is full of fear. He's strong in his faith, but he's full of fear." And I said, "Why do you think that is?" And, and after several back and forth, he said, "Because I'm afraid I won't measure up to my dad." There you are, another yeah. another daddy one. So getting resolution about basically what I tell my guys is fire your father, <laughs> fire fire your father and replace him with the perfect father. That's what happened to me. I mean, I I didn't grasp at the time, but in the backyard of my house that night in 1983, I fired my father. I realized I had a perfect mm. heavenly father who loved me. He wasn't uh, holding me up to any kind of standard. He wasn't criticizing me. He just loved me. And so getting resolution and getting your father put in perspective and, and having our heavenly father become your dad, the guy that loves you unconditionally, that, you know, if, once you realize how he loves you, then you can go love others that same way. Isn't, I'm glad you said that, you know, because like I'm thinking I have two boys who are 25 and 21 and, you know, you think, oh, well, that'd be threatening. I'm out of their lives. But actually, if, if they got over their father issues because everybody has them, and they fired me and trusted their heavenly father, our relationship would actually even improve over what it is, right? Like you and actually have better human relationships if you can get your relationship with God solved. Could not, could not be more accurate. Mm. When, mm. When, uh, when I grew up and, and came to Christ, my first reaction was to be mad at my father. Right. Because all the things he did, the th horrible things he said that built such a, a high drive in me because I, you know, my... My assessment at AT&T Information Systems asked um, one, of the, one of the test batteries I took showed that I had one of the highest achievement motivations that this guy had ever tested. Oh, wow. And I said, where does that come from? He said, a very, very high need for affirmation that was born as, as an unsatisfied early childhood need from your father. 
Not interesting. And, and so, I mean, I was set up to be a, a driver type A because I couldn't please my dad. I think I heard a quote about Bono from you too, who said uh, that the prerequisite to becoming a great world-class musician is to have a terrible childhood with a bad father. And he said, I had a bad father and a bad mother, so I got both. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Well, yeah. I'm sure it's a little more <laughs> complex than that, but still. To, to support your, what you said, um, I fired my father after that. I, I, I realized I was the only one carrying around this hard heart for, for what he did and didn't do. Huh. And I fired him, and all of a sudden, we became friends. And Isn't I looked at him something? as, you, you're, just, you're just a really nice old guy. And here's the key to this, Kerry. Yeah. And this is what I, I, I tell my guys. All, I've never had a guy whose father intended to hurt him. Yes. It, yeah. They did the best they could. And, and, you know, Andy teaches, and I think this is brilliant. He says, no one ever makes an unreasonable decision. Mm. In the moment, the decision that you make is reasonable to you at the time. You say, yep. so jumping off that stone quarry cliff into this water of unknown depth is a reasonable decision at the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but my father and I had the greatest relationship for the last five years of his life because I didn't need him to be my dad anymore. I had this uh, heavenly father that met all my needs. And so I was free to just love him and not hold anything against him. And, and he, in return, found me to be a kinder, softer, more gentle man. And we just had a great time. The last time I ever saw him, I propped his feet up and told him I loved him. And he died a few days later. Oh, man. Aren't you glad it ended that way oh, as man. opposed to five years earlier? Yeah. Uh, the other the other theme that uh, you ask about the needs yes. these guys have, it's always marriage. Hmm. Uh, we talked about that a little while ago, but matter of fact, I, I have talked about marriage and, and marriage is, is the catalyst that brought me to Christ. And it's the thing that keeps me humble and close to him. And, and so we talk more about marriage in, in, in our radical mentoring groups than we do anything else. And matter of fact, a couple of years ago, I pulled all that together in the book, um, which is kind of my story. Uh, but it turned, it's really the 11 principles that I um, the, distilled is retrospectively from how I won my wife's heart back. Amazing. It's, it's What's a book what called? Radical, yeah. It's called what, what Radical Husbands Do. Wow. We'll put that in the show notes, all the links to everything. Um, cool. So marriage comes up an awful lot. Anything else that continues to surface? I, I think the uh, probably the, uh, the third would, would, would be the lack of true understanding of scriptures. Uh, we have a generation that that hasn't had the scripture explained to them or lived out in front of them. It's just kind of this vague, amorphous uh, book that has "Don't" written on the cover. Yeah. And um, I guess what I've learned over the last twenty-one years at North Point, and the beauty of of uh, the kinds of teaching that Andy and 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 you and others uh, do is they start with a real life problem, a real life felt need, and then they bring what God has to say about that to the problem, as opposed to standing up and let's stand for the reading of God's word <laughs> yeah. and then spend the next 35 minutes trying to make it relevant. And uh, that's sort of the same thing we do in, in, in my groups. But what you would have learned is that if you don't have that common ground of even having read the Bible, I mean, literally there's a guy in my group this year had had to go out and buy a Bible. He didn't own a Bible. I got mm -hmm. 30 of them. You know, from well, we see that all the time. And, you know, depending on the part of the country you're in, like if you're in New England or the West Coast or you're in Canada or Europe, that would be very typical where I think 70% of the people who attend our church don't have a solid background in Scripture. And I can't take that one on in, in nine months or a year. But what I can do is is model, uh, understand, pursuing the Scripture, and and I can at least make sure they know by heart. Yep. In relevant scriptures that they can call up by keyword, depending on the situation that they're in. I mean, you say marriage, and and you're going to get uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Mm. And I can I can beat that for hours on end because that's at the heart of how a man successfully loves his wife. I agree, and and you know what? I think in in even embedding nine of those truths at a very deep level, you give them a hunger for that. You know, like oh, if I go deeper. I'll, I'll, I'll find this stuff. That's, yes. that's so good. Now, is, is there a women's stream, uh, in, in radical mentoring or that's something you're looking at or. Uh, I'm not planning to become a woman and I don't have, <laughs> any, I, I don't have any, 
concept of what it feels like to be a woman. But a a dear friend of mine who's now gone on uh, home to heaven uh, created a a female version of this called Titus Two Mentoring Women. Oh, and it um, it, it's they have a website. They have uh, they have all their content. They've they've we've helped them along the way, but they they started sort of the same way. Uh, a lady named Regina Williams took took the radical mentoring model, created content for women. Eventually, uh, we helped her get it up on the website. And so now it's available for free for, for, for anyone. It's called Titus2MentoringWomen.com. Okay, well, I'm going to have to, um, we'll link to that again in the show notes, which is great because I know there's a lot of people who'd be interested in that as well. Any general keys you've found to mentoring people? Because people use different approaches. It's a really big thing, like one-on-one mentoring. Like, you know, everybody wants a mentor these days. Uh, What are some do's and don'ts in mentoring, Reggie? Well, one is to recognize what it is. Um, There's a big difference to me between mentoring and training. Mm. Training is teaching someone how to do something. And mentoring is is about modeling how to be somebody. Oh, that's good. if you look at, at Jesus, I mean, there were thousands of years when God was trying to communicate his truth and his, his grace to mankind. And ever, you know, over and over again, the, again, they kept failing. We kept failing. And so at some point, about 2000 years ago, he kind of elbowed Jesus and said, OK, it's time for you to go down there and embody me. And so when when you look at a, a mentor embodying um, Jesus, a, a flawed incomplete, work in progress, all that. But if he's got a little more Jesus living in him and through him than the guy he's mentoring, then he's going to catch it. You know, yeah. One of the fundamental things that North Point, uh, I think, helped codify for me was the idea that leadership is caught more than it's taught. And so the whole idea behind leader development groups is you take what North Point calls L2s, or leaders of leaders, and put them in this environment with these eight guys for nine months and they'll catch leadership by seeing it modeled as to how this mentor leads this small group of eight guys. And then the calling is for them to go and pay it forward with other groups. So that's incredible. Now we gotta we gotta tie a bow on something because I asked you about um, Stoic versus Epicurean, and I, we got a really good answer along the way. But I'm not sure we actually tied the loop on that. And I know I'm gonna get emails from people who are like, "What about that?" Stoic versus Epicurean thing, because what you said was just so helpful to me, and it's how organizations evolve. But go ahead. I think we begin to depend more on on the institution than the person, mm. and uh, I think that's ultimately we become um, obedient to the institution as opposed to being obedient to the person of Jesus right. Christ. And um, you know, the world is uh, Christians and churches. Churches in America are full of people who are doing good things for God. Yeah. Okay. And do, people who do good things for God build massive buildings with stained glass windows and, and pink marble on the floor and all that kind of mm. thing. And I can't find any evidence of that in Scripture, you know, not post-Jesus. Lots of it pre-Jesus, but not post-Jesus. Mm. So I think the more we stay focused on the mission, and, and, and that mission is to make disciples and to understand that that happens one-on-one. You know, North Point was built on this idea of, of creating a, this this awesome foyer, but yeah. with the idea that the foyer will lead you to the kitchen table, will mm. lead you to the living room, which will lead you to the kitchen table, which is a small group. Yeah. Well, uh, leader development groups, radical mentoring is a kitchen table, but it sets up an environment where I can take you to the back porch, where the mentor mm one-on-one, life-on-life, uh, models for and influences um, men towards uh, a, a Christ-centered life. So I think we got to have that last step of the back porch, and you, you can't get there with the blind leading the blind, the immature leading the immature. You need someone at the head of the table who is on mission and purposeful and uh, who's willing to kind of be honest, someone who's discerning and courageous and and who can build a trust environment to the degree that you trust me enough to listen to me challenge you and not get mad at me, you know? Yeah, and I love the way you said it too to me that, you know, a Stoic is lean, um, you know, they rent, they don't own their their startup mode, and an Epicurean would have the, uh, you know, the linen tablecloth and the fine polished silver and, and the whole deal. And so it's just, you know, the scrappy startup versus the, 
large, refined organization. And I think that is in, in the life cycle, both of people and, and also of organizations. It's an important lesson. Reggie, anything yeah. else you want to share with us in, in the time we've got together today? Carrie, the, I guess the, the, the common denominator out of all this, I guess the life lesson that I've learned in my last 34 years compared to my first 33 years uh, is intentionality. You know, once I became intentional uh, about pouring my life into to other people's lives, uh, that led me to have a plan that led me to make stuff up. But it was it, it was pointed with intentionality towards this being obedient to this this call to add value to other people, to pour your life out for others and to uh, to help them take a step towards Jesus, regardless of where they are. And I think that's the biggest thing is it's just, you know, everything you do is on purpose. It's either yeah. goal achieving, goal achieving or tension relieving. Huh. And once you point. Uh, yourself and become intentional about this, and God will show you you're in a unique patch. He'll give you your your people that you're called to. He'll burden you with the things that, you know, that He'll break your heart for the things that He and His heart breaks for. And for me, that was early 30s guys who are heat seekers, chasing after the world's success, ignoring their wives and kids, and missing life. And that's wow. why I end up now doing full time what I do. And uh, trying to yeah, help it's guys. funny. The hobby has become the main thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That's awesome. If people want more, where can they find you and Radical Mentoring online? It is uh, www.radicalmentoring.com Good. Uh, fo- forward slash CNLP. Oh, great. You've got a, a promotion, do you? We have a little landing page just for the subscribers to the uh, Carrie Newhoff uh, Leadership Podcast. And uh, we're not going to give anything free. No, uh, no, because it's all free. All of our stuff is free. Is we it really? Charge. Yeah, we've got some. Oh. The Lord showed us several years ago that uh, He would fund radical mentoring through the people that have been touched by it, mm. and we continue to grow. And the people who've been uh, touched by this, and the churches who have embraced it, even though it was you know, given to them as a gift, are now coming coming back and supporting us financially. So that's amazing. Nobody's going to ask for. Them. Well, listeners, make sure you use that. Okay, go to radicalmentoring.com slash CNLP, and uh, that'll let Reggie know you heard it here. Right. Yeah. That's Reggie, right. thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Well, that's challenging, isn't it? And convicting and powerful. Some of the people I know who have been through Reggie's Radical Mentoring Program, man, they just, they swear by it. They're like, this this changes lives and changes leadership. If you want more, Reggie has got a special page. You can go to RadicalMentoring.com slash CNLP, and that's a special page just for uh, listeners of this podcast. So RadicalMentoring.com slash CNLP. Thanks for setting that up, Reggie. And thanks for sharing your wisdom with so many leaders today. Hey, we're back next week, of course, with a fresh episode. And what's up? Well, I, I'm, I'm really excited to have this guest. His name is Rodney Cox, and he runs a company that I first used about five years ago, and they do um, personality profiles, assessments. It was the most real, like accurate profile I'd ever read of myself or of my team. And uh, we're going to talk about how to really discover your strengths and also your shadow side as leaders and the difference that can make to help your organization move forward. Here's an excerpt from my conversation with Rodney Cox. As a leader, when you encounter differences, I implore you, when you feel that somebody on your team is diminishing the light of the team instead of increasing the light, mm. check that at the ta- check that at the door, man. <laughs> yeah. Engage, seek to understand and 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 de- and and determine why you're feeling that way cuz that's not God's intent. If you if you feel insecure, mm-hmm. check that at the door, man. God yeah. God's intent is, is to drive security. So engage it, discover what it is, find out what that insecurity is. Third, when you encounter those differences and 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 you discover a weakness that you have, don't try and hide that weakness. Bring it into the light. Invite somebody into it and allow them to cover it. And you know what? As a leader, when you discover a weakness in somebody, don't exploit it. Cover it. Step into it. That's what great leaders do. Yeah. That's what the body of Christ does. That's what it means to be unified. And when a world looks into that type of team, they're going to look into the eyes of Jesus. 
Well, I've been excited about that episode for a long time. And of course, if you're a subscriber, you're going to get it for free automatically on your device. If not, why don't you subscribe today? I just find I only listen to podcasts I subscribe to. So um, if I think I'm going to listen and maybe you just randomly picked up this episode, become a subscriber. It's free. You can do that on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, in the meantime, thanks to trainedup.church and orangetour.org for bringing you the goodness today. We are back next week with a fresh episode, and uh, I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.